In terms of the national costume, the Irish national costume is like a kilt. It's like a... Can I have an exemption? Because I've never worn one. But I can wear tights, right? In, Gla in Glasgow, it's the same as the Glasgow thing. And more than that, they wear it on the knee. You know? So... Anyway, you're going to have to come next Sunday to find out. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you all for praying for Glasgow. I was up there for a very significant conference. Um, I don't know if you follow what's happening in some of the African nations. In Sudan, with some of the, women, the women's rights there, it doesn't even bear mentioning uh, the atrocities that are taking place. And Dr. Beta is a UN delegate. He has a seat on the UN, a very important international guy. It took me three years to get him to come. But our goal is to form some sort of a lobby within the UN for African women's rights. Can we hear an amen? amen. Okay. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the connections. And he most certainly does. At his last event, I want Richard maybe come with me if we can some year. In January, he holds an event in Ethiopia. Last year, he had 47 ambassadors in his church. Hallelujah. Amen. amen. A few presidents in there as well. So Gaddafi used to attend before they shot him. So he's a very, very influential person. Please keep that in your prayers. When I do this, don't panic. Okay. Don't run out. We're almost finished. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't labor the point if God wasn't still laboring the point in me. And I honestly don't... I mean, you've been in church a long time. How many, how many years you have been sitting there, David? How many years, Tim? Many, many years. And, and realistically looking back, how much change? I think the truth is we change to a point until we kind of fit a standard amongst ourselves. Hello? And when that standard is met amongst ourselves, Paul says, you're foolish. You compare yourselves with yourselves. He's, it's correct. But there's a higher thing. There's a higher calling, a higher place. And, and Paul alluded to this multiple times. But God will not let this go from my spirit. So I'm going to stick at it until I feel free. Amen? Amen? Thank you for your patience. When God saved you, he didn't save you because he needed a servant. Okay? Fundamental. God didn't create you because he needed a worker. That's not the way this is. God created you. You exist because you wanted a, a son. Come on. God created you because you wanted a... Now it's a son who serves. It's a son who serves. There's no problem with that. But getting this fundamental change within my understanding and then my behavior is a lot harder than it might seem. Because we are uh, watchmen knee wrote a book, a very famous book, called Sit, Walk, Stand. And in that, his premise, his argument, is that as Christians, especially as new believers, we're never taught properly to sit. Instead, when we get saved, and this is true of me, when I got saved, they rushed me into walking. And what that does for Christians like me is you can limp for a very, very long time. 
you can almost hop through the Christian life not knowing why I'm somewhat debilitated. Are you following me? So, the, as you'll see today particularly, the premise of Scripture from beginning to end is that first of all, I take my seat as a son, as Richard did a couple of weeks ago here. Then from that place, then I go out. But something takes place in this moment. Something takes place and you'll know it, you'll feel it. I could give you personal examples of that. Maybe one month ago, we looked at Isaac. Isaac's a great example of a son, not a servant. When I think of, of everything that God had for Isaac, did Isaac work for his wells? No. They were the father's wells. Everything was given. Isaac was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. A child of the king. Just like you. The difference with Isaac was he never functioned or acted like a servant. He knew who he was. He knew his destiny. And he entered into that so well. He's probably one of the top two, Joshua and Isaac, in Scripture, in scripture who really managed to receive everything that God had for them. Amen. So don't give up, folks. Keep on trying. One of the problems for me as a teacher is not teaching people. That's a secondary problem. It's getting people to unlearn. You, like me, like human beings, we are loyal to the thing we first believed. Typical. We are even religiously loyal to the thing or to the church that we were first in or the culture we came from. We are loyal to the thing that we first, because we got security from it. And getting people to unpack or unlearn their culture is a very difficult thing to do. Amen. Amen. Like with me as a Catholic, it's all works. So for me to let that go, that's not easy. Maybe you came from a legalistic tradition. Your, 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 Your church was that way influenced. And then to get that out of your system is very tough. Theologically, I'm a geek. Sorry about that. But there's benefits in that for you. Because if, if, when I first got saved, the first time I went through the, the, the Bible from cover to cover, it was, took, took me a year. And I developed many, 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 many notes out of that. But when I finished my first journey, look at this. I decided, well, for me. There were two big problems. What on earth is the law? Like the book of Romans. Can you understand what Paul's on about? The law this, the law that. I couldn't understand it. Anybody else? I just couldn't get it. But then I read some works by a very famous guy who's famous for this reason, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he took the book of Romans with a very different perspective and he explained Until you understand, there's actually five laws. But in English, there's just one word law. But there's Levitical law, there's the moral law, there's the Abrahamic, there's there's all kinds of laws, but seven actually, but five principal laws. And when he took the book apart systematically, wow, this no longer became a puzzle. The second big puzzle for me was the book of Hebrews and talking about rest. It's almost like a riddle. Rest this, rest that. I couldn't get my head around it. Now, understanding the law, if I don't want to be legalistic, of course that's important. So these things are worth fighting for 
And that's really what we're doing now. This current phase that we're in, God wants to give you rest. Amen? Okay, don't answer this question out loud. Do you have rest? <laughs> We've got one. Do you have rest in your marriage? Rest in your work or your career? Do you have rest in your home? Rest in your finances? Do you have rest? Do you have rest in your marriage or are you still working at it yourself? Do you have rest in your finances? Or is it still such hard work? Do you have rest in your ministry? Or is it still something you're doing yourself? Rest in your soul. Do you have peace of mind? Do you have rest in your mind? Do you have rest? And if you ask that question of anyone just about, do you know what the answer is? Yes, I have some. That's the answer. I've got some rest. Maybe I've got rest in my health at the moment, but maybe my marriage is not at rest. Or maybe my finances are quite rested at the moment, but other areas don't have rest. But the rest that Christ invites you into, calls you into, is a total rest. Amen? A complete rest. You never get rest from victory. So just because you get a victory, victory is not rest. That's a deception. A very common deception. If I get a victory today, I get peace today. But tomorrow I can have another battle. Amen? And then I get victory the next day, but tomorrow I've got another battle. You get rest by being a conqueror. With a conqueror, there's no more battles. Hello? And this is the rest. This is what rest is all about. Now, who conquered all things? Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do once he had conquered? Sat down and rested, right? His work was done. And then he says to you, Edgar, now come and follow me on this same routine. But the truth is, friends, even the best of our Christians, they are only victorious. They're going from victory to victory, from battle to battle, and even satisfied with that because they compare each other with each other. But in reality, it was something very different. Seldom in my life, I've met a few, have I met conquerors. Indeed, we are more than, right? More than conquerors in my life. But in these end times, God's calling us to be that. Amen? It's a fantastic invitation, and I hope you... Take it seriously. I'll try and be brief this morning. But number one this morning, point one on your notes. It's a bit of an oxymoron. We must labor to enter this rest. It's a fight. It's a battle. I'm going to read this for you. Before I do, does God want you to fear? Does God want fear in you? Anybody? You see, wrong. <laughs> Get them every time. You see? Look at this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a, a promise remains for entering his rest, let us, what? Yeah. Ah. So there are some things that God wants us to fear. Since a promise about rest exists, be very fearful, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. 
For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith uh, with those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. This is camp one. Some people do enter, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter camp two. Two types of people. Some who enter, some who don't. They shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you, hear, if you will hear my, his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now you know why I was confused. I find that very confusing. I don't know about you. It's almost like a riddle. And I hope we can, to some degree, unscramble it. They had been, remember, they had been in Egypt, hadn't they? And God brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. But they didn't want to fight, did they? They saw the giants, and they didn't want to fight. This is where the rest is. And really, the writer to the book of Hebrews here, do you know what he's saying? He's chastising them. You, you let God save you, but you won't let God bring you further. You trusted, you rested in God for your salvation, didn't you? Everybody here? You rested in God, remember? So why now are you being disobedient and working in your own strength? Go back, and in fact, the same way that you came out of Egypt and through the wilderness, it's the same procedure of total trust and rest in God. Amen? And just as the Hebrews were chastised for their attitude, God can chastise me. Moses was not a meek man. There's nothing meek about Moses. Very arrogant, very violent murderer. Meek? No, sir. Moses was a highly educated individual, full of his own strength in Egypt. But... God called him, didn't he? And remember the procedure? After 40 years, his strength was not broken. In his own strength, he kills the Egyptian. And then God puts him in the wilderness for 40 years. It takes a long time to break some people. And then at the end of the second 40 years, he gets his second calling from God. And God says, now Moses is meek. I told you about my mother. My mother's a lovely person, but man, she had problems in her life, bitterness problems. And it was only when she was set. You can look at this and laugh and say, he's 80 years old. <laughs> Did it take to 80 to change him? Yeah. A lot of strength in some people. A lot of strength. And it took all this time, but God was still there, still ready to use him, and eventually the call came a second time and God looked at this arrogant, strong man and said, now Moses is the meekest man in all the earth. And that means he was ready for ministry. In fact, he was called to lead them all into a place of rest. I mentioned my mother because she was a very strong woman in that sense. 
but it wasn't until she was 75, really, that she began to have some big changes. I don't want to wait to 75. Hello? (laughs) That's a long time. I don't want to wait that long. I don't have to wait that long, do I? I can do this right now if I will listen to God and rest in Him. I'm going to say this again, and in the name of Jesus, I pray you hear it like you've never heard it before. Are you ready? God did not create you because he needed a worker. God did not create you because he needed a servant. It's much greater than that. He created you because he wanted a son. That's why you're here. And don't make ministry the focus of your salvation. Make relationship the focus of your salvation. Okay? All about relationship. It was never about anything else. The book of Genesis, the six days of creation. What happened in the first six days? Who did all the work? God. God did all the work. Man did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then when the, everything was finished, Ashish here and Sarita just had their baby. And if you were over, I was over at their house before the baby was born. The blankets were ready. The food is in the fridge. Everything is done. What father? Happy Father's Day. What father's going to have a baby? Well, you know, go and get your food. <laughs> it's absurd. But you, like any other father, of course you prepared it. Because it's not about servanthood. It's about relationship. So you were created for relationship. Keep listening. The six days of creation, God fixed everything up, just like you did your apartment. God organized everything, and then he looks and thinks, now, it's looking pretty good. Okay, mankind. Then he brings Adam in, sits and he says, look at all I've made. Now, Adam, seventh day. Adam hasn't lifted a finger. Rest. And so the relationship between God and man didn't begin with work. God had done all the work. Relationship between God and man began primarily with intimacy between God and man. Amen? And that's what... Then, on the eighth day, when Adam was given dominion over the world, yeah, no problem. Now I want you to go out and do A, B, C. But if you follow the story, it's a tragedy because... Sin came in. It began with rest first, and from rest, you take dominion. But then sin came in, and the whole thing was turned upside down. Then it was work first, the law. Sin brought the law. Then work first, and then one day rest. Keep on following the story. Then Jesus came, crucified the law, and set you free into a permanent Sabbath. Now, if you understood that, you would have shouted, Hallelujah! <laughs> Give it time to sink in. Because that's the, that's the heart of the gospel. And that's what you are actually being denied. If I live any other way, God wants me for relationship. That's what he wants. Amen? That was always the design. That was the design with the apostles in Matthew's gospel where it says he called them to be with him. Yeah? Called them, first of all, to be with him. So it is with me, so it is with you. So number one this morning, I've got to labor, unlearn some stuff 
in order to enter this rest. Secondly, I need to repent of dead works. And this is in many places in Scripture. I'll read it for you here. Hebrews 4, under point 2. Talking about the old covenant and a life of works being incapable of giving you rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, he couldn't, and your works can't give you rest, then, there were, uh, then he would have not afterward have spoken of another day. So there remains, therefore, a rest for God's people. And for he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall short of the same example of disobedience. Now, Take a look at Hebrews 6 here, because when we say don't work, what are we talking about? What what type of work? Look at Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of, of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Heavens above. So fundamental Christian truths. I eyes forward one moment. Fundamental Christian truths. Hebrews 6 is the foundations of your faith. The number one truth. What is it? Faith? No. Baptisms? No. Bible study? No. Repentance from working in my own flesh instead of resting in God. Dealing with my life. The entry to the kingdom of God as it was supposed to be. Begins with, like with Moses, God had to wait all this time. Until he killed the Egyptian, God had to wait all this time until Moses, as an older man, actually for the first time in his life, sat down and said, you know what, I can't do this. Exactly, Moses. Hallelujah. I worked in a mental hospital for 10 years. It was great preparation for being a pastor. That was a joke. Hallelujah. No problem. You can laugh later. And for me, that was easy. I didn't mind it at all. I can work with that. I can work with all sorts of things. You know, the one group of people I can't work with, elderly people, I I just end up sniveling. I can't cope with it. It's too emotional. My heart breaks. I just start crying. I thought, oh, Jesus. You know, I find it totally, I'm useless in that. Because I'm too broken by elderly people. Isn't there a grace around elderly people? Isn't there? They don't, have the, they don't have the trust in their strength that they used to have, I guess. I guess their belief in their own righteousness over time has been worn down. And they're in a place of rest and brokenness which is utterly beautiful. I got a call one day to go to a hospital to visit a Roman Catholic who was dying, and the man, I was told, had something like one day to live. And I said, okay, no problem, I'll go. And I went into the ward. I was preparing myself, because I was a Catholic. I was preparing myself to speak to him and to lead him to God. So when I got in there, it was just me and him in the room. He pulled back the sheets, and he had the biggest growth. It was huge, and it was blazing red. It just looked dreadful. And he said, look, they say, I'm done now. There's no treatment. I said, I've heard, yeah. So I'm not going to live now. I said, I've heard about that. I come to talk to you about Jesus Christ. 
and I didn't talk to him about Jesus Christ. He talked to me. And he just, it just blew me away. Did you come to talk to me about Jesus? My Jesus? My Jesus. I've got no hope. But you know, I believed in him. I believe that he'll save me. And as he spoke, do you know, in the end, I've got nothing to say to you except have a nice eternity. See you when, <laughs> when I get there. Hallelujah. The grace and the brokenness of that older man in the final stages of his life. And then I look at me or, or how I am and the way I behave. So different. That man was in a place of spiritual rest. Hallelujah. That's precious. I need to repent for my dead works. When I first got saved, I've said this many times, but it's important. When I got saved, I come from a family where everybody said, shut up. Everybody say, shut up. Yeah, that's what I heard all day, because I'm the youngest, the youngest of nine. Yeah, I did. I thought it was my name. What's your name? Shut up. Don't be ridiculous. I, it was endless in our family, endless. Yeah, why did I say that? I can't remember. Um, it, it affected me brutally. Oh, yeah. And then when I got saved, I wanted to be something. I wanted to succeed. So what shall I do? Play the guitar? Well, nobody recognizes me. If I, if I learn to play the guitar, or sing, Stephen, or play the drums, or sing, yeah? Or be a successful businessman. I'll do something that people admire to get recognition. And if you think you don't need recognition, you're crazy. You're wrong. You need, it's, a, it's a fundamental human need. But you need to get it from, you need to get it from God. And so in my own strength, and I'm more than happy to admit this, in my own strength, I did many things. And you can be very successful in your own strength. Don't ever believe you can't. You can plant churches. You can build big churches in your own strength. Yes, you can. You can build big ministries in your own strength. Study church history. It's happened many times. Never be fooled by numbers. But it, because I'm a geek, I saw the error in my ways. And I started fasting regularly for long periods on my own, alone, saying, God, it's not right. It's not right. I know I've got a inverted commas ministry, but this is perceived success, not success in your eyes. I am, success, I am perceived as successful. I am perceived in the eyes of my brothers and sisters as something I know is not genuine. Hello? Yeah, you don't have to say amen to that one. Because it's your story too. But something happened to me in the Brecon Beacons in Wales after fasting a long time. And I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I got a call to go to Poland. I'm still in my own works. I'm still in the works of the flesh. I'm still doing my own thing. And I end up in Poland. I'll never forget it. A town called Gijitsko came out. And there was probably a hundred Christians in front of me. But see my spirit first time my spirit came alive and through the crowd I saw a man and something on me said this man is connected with you and it wasn't me talking it wasn't me using my gift it was God now there's a lot of people but I'm just walking and thinking that man has got something to do with me this is not a dead work this is not a dead work 
God's in this. And as I spoke to the pastor, guess who he called over? <laughs> Yo, he called that man. Here we go. And he said, this is your interpreter. And we have hired this, the town square. Michael, I preached thousands of times in the open air. But that day is the best day we ever had. It was fantastic. And I look back on it and I see that wasn't a dead work. Because God was in it. When I went to Glasgow, bless Ray Belfield, he drove me up. I didn't really want to go. And we pulled up, I remember the junction, Great Western Road. And he had to go and do something. Tim, I got out of that car. I'd never been to Glasgow. And I stood on the road. And guess what? Holy Spirit. And I just felt, I said to my wife, we're going to do something. Not a dead work. Not a dead work. Not something I can do. God is going to do something in Glasgow through us. For three years we did half the world on television. You know the story, etc., etc. You see, dead works, who said 85% of the work in the church would continue if they took the Holy Spirit out, right? Much of what I had done was dead works. Jesus said, I do nothing except that which I see my Father do. No dead works. And I can take my anointing, I can steal my anointing and form my own ministry. Right? Believe me, I'm capable of doing that, like thousands before me. I can walk out that door, give it a name, call it something. It's a good way of raising money, by the way. Call it something and say it's mine. Right? Many people do this. Thousands and thousands of people do this. So why am I in VFC? Why am I part of someone else's structure? Do you know why? Because it's not worth Oh, Jesus. I was driving through Springfield, Missouri. In America, the Bible Belt, the buckle on the Bible Belt. There's a church, I mean, literally a church on every corner. It's like unbelievable. I'm with Rick. And I'm seeing these churches, First Episcopal Church, First Presbyterian Church, First Baptist Church, First whatever, Heathen Church for all I know. I don't know what they are. First, first, first. And then second. Oh, second. Second Methodist Church. And I'm just thinking... What's with the first thing? So I turn to Rick and I say, Rick, why do they say first? And he said, because men want glory. And they want to say, I planted it and it's mine. It's the first one and it was me. It's about glory. Never. Yeah. They want to be known as the first person to start something. I thought I never knew that. But that's not the important point of what I was taught that day. Listen to this. He said this. No man ever started anything. I thought, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, go, just say that one more. Now, he's planted 15,000 churches, okay? So he says, but no one ever did anything. But how? No, no one ever started anything. How? Because Jesus is the author and finisher. Because he who began the good work will also complete the good work. So there's actually nothing of any glory going to a human. It's all God's. Hallelujah. Amen? It's a good lesson, isn't it? So I, I repeat, the anointing and the presence are two very different things. 
The anointing remains within you. You have a gift. You can steal it like many do and use it for your own glory. That's got a bad end. I prefer to stay within a wider structure that is recognized globally, etc., etc. Something that I see God in. And then you have the presence of God, which is a very different thing. So you want the anointing and the presence of God. Repent from your dead works. Repent from your dead works. Labor, fight to enter the rest to which God has called you. Amen? Amen. That's my, my last point. I'm done. We're going to have some cake, I believe, for Father's Day. Look at this last point, though, before we conclude. Entering for you today to get at least a, 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 a vision of entering the pre-planned rest and work or walk that God has for you. And I pray that you see that. Even if you close your eyes right now and in the spirit, you see something. Something of what you're destined for. Something of what your future holds. And let me repeat, by the way. I don't disrespect the natural. I've said that many times. Because talking about the supernatural, bless the natural. When I got Richard to rip these things up, right? He, remember? He took all his qualifications, right? Let me emphasize something here. That is not an act of disrespect. Very important you understand this. We respect very much the sacrifices made to achieve these things. Hello? Oh, definitely. We respect what you have achieved. Absolutely. That's not the point. Remember when Jesus said, unless, you, if anyone does not hate their father and mother, what do you say? Hate? No, he's making another point, isn't he? Amen. Let the dead bury their own dead. I have to bury my father. No, follow me. No, no, no. He's making another point. Do you get it? So when I'm asking Richard on your behalf to take this and to rip it up, it's not disrespect. Either of everything you've achieved or anything else. No, sir. I'm making another point. The Apostle Paul was more qualified than you. You're the most qualified person here. Paul was vastly more qualified than you. And you know how Paul achieved his seat and wrote 13 books of the Bible? He said this, forgetting what I have achieved. Forgetting what lies behind. Look at the context of that scripture. Nothing to do with sin, it's not there. Nothing to do with anything other than what he had achieved, his abilities. And so the apostle Paul said, I have discovered this one thing. I've got to forget this. I thank God for it. But once I forget this, then I have found the wonder of being found in fellowship with Christ Jesus. Amen. Sometimes I think God is lonely. When I, my first pastor written Wales, there was a very godly woman, intercessor, was a housewife, so she was at home all day. And this one day, did you ever meet somebody so anointed they scared the living daylights out of you? <laughs> right? I had to drop something off at the house or something, and I just, I just knocked the door to say where. Well, she came out in a cloud of glory and just knocked me back. I thought, whoa, you. And she was crying, but she was in the spirit. And I was speaking, are you okay? And she said, Mike, you'll never guess what I've just seen. A vision. I saw Jesus. And I, I tell you, you don't have to convince me. I can see. 
I said, well, what happened? He said, I saw Jesus and he was on a rock and he was crying and crying. And I, I crawled into the vision and I said, Jesus, why are you crying? And he said, because no one will spend time with me. That's a sad, that's a sad statement. They're working. This is what he says to the Hebrews and Leviticus. So much work you do. And yet the last thing we do is take that time for Christ. You weren't saved to be a servant, though we serve. You were saved for relationship. And to walk around this city here or wherever you end up with such a rest and such a peace that people say to you, who are you? Nothing sinks your boat. No matter what happens, you seem to get through it. And we guide them to our God. Father, I pray for every religious obstacle in our minds, in our cultures, in our education, in our traditions, in me, in all of us every religious tradition to be broken. And I pray we will take our seat in Jesus' name. We will enter the rest that you have called us to. And Lord, I pray particularly for the fathers this morning. Could I have the worship team, please? I pray for the fathers this morning that you will particularly bless them, equip them in all that they have to do. And it's, a, it's an awesome task, a huge task. And we just take a moment to lift them to you and pray your strength upon them. <coughs> Michael, could you pray for the fathers and ask the fathers to stand in your place if everybody else can remain seated. We're just going to take a moment to confer a blessing on you in your role, in your function as a dad. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you. As we are still in prayer mode, in upstanding mode, shall all of us pray? You, everybody has somebody that is called a dad in their life. They could be your friend, they could be your dad, they could be your husband, they could be your son. Or you yourself could be a dad yourself as I am. Let's pray for the dad of all dads to show us the way to be a dad. It's not just a name, it's a responsibility. And it's not just a responsibility, it's a divine responsibility. God always intended us to share in the things that he do everywhere. Pastor said earlier, Christ said that I would never do anything except what I see my father do. This is very important. Let's pray for God's guidance on all fathers. You pray for everybody here and every father that you know that's not even here. This prayer will cover all of them. Shall we pray? 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 Pray for you know a father. You know a father. You know a father. Your your brother could be a father. Your your you have a dad. You have a a friend. You 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 have a brother who is a dad. You know a father. Pray for them to have the 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 vision of God to have the leading of God. In the name of Jesus, because apart from Christ, there's nothing that anybody can do. Even to go close to being a father. 
not to be a father by our own strength because that is easy to do. You can gather some strength and gather some ideas and the natural way to be a father, but we have been called to be a different kind of father. A father that starts from resting yourself in the first place. Naturally, it's not possible to rest and be a father because we know how fatherhood is like. But God is called us this morning to rest and then be a father because he has done that and he's called us to that position. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord. We bless you. Give you praise, Lord. We give you adoration for, again, visiting us and sharing your hearts and your passion, Lord, with us. We thank you for your word that has caused us to, Lord, rest ourselves and get ourselves into what you want us to do, Lord. We pray that we never do anything, Lord, my God, from our own strength and from our own imaginations and from what the natural will give us, Lord. We repent for ever being so living in the natural, living so on our own strength and our own righteousness. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us from every unrighteousness in that regard. I pray, Lord, that you endow us, Lord, with the abilities and the, 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 the strength to rest, Lord. We, we want to have the, the strength and the power and the confidence to rest, knowing that we are able to do things that you called us to do through the rest that we do. I pray especially for every dad here, Lord. May I, I pray that your power will rest upon us. And even as you've given us our families and ministries and uh, people to raise up, Lord, my God, I pray that we not do this from our own understanding and from our own strength. Lord, we will do this from rest. Lord, we do this from your work that you've given to us. We do this from your power. We do this from your spirit in the name of Jesus. Thank you, not only for ourselves, also pray for everyone, my God, that we know who is a dad anyway, our fellow dads everywhere in the part of the world. Let your name be glorified, Lord. We worship your holy name. We praise your name because you, first of all, being our father, and we are grateful that we are learning of you to become fathers as well. Praise and hallelujah be to your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.